Pursuing your future doesn't end at 40. In fact, it may mark the beginning of knowing who you are, what you're capable of, and what you really want. But knowing what's next and how to get there can be a challenge, especially when old narratives play on repeat. Liberty Road is here to share stories so that you can consider your possibilities, pursue your purpose, and move into your future with intention. I'm your host, Netta Jones, and we're here to listen, learn, and liberate dreams one episode at a time. Well, hello, Liberty Road listeners. Welcome to another episode of this podcast where we get to tell you stories to inspire you to create your own. Today we have, as always, a treat. Um, We get to hear from Elisa Yip of Skein. And this is a great story of somebody who, unlike some of our stories where people pivot uh, into completely different industries, this is a story of somebody who came fully equipped with a ton of background and a ton of knowledge and launched her own thing. So I'm really excited to get into this conversation today. Elisa, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Uh, Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about how you launched your company, and then we'll get into your background after that. How I launched my company? Well, I launched at October 2020. I lost my job because of COVID. I was working at Nordstrom at that time. And it was around April or June when I came up with a concept. You know, I've had this idea of creating sustainable knitwear for the longest time when I learned about alpaca. But then I didn't actually put anything into place. And when I lost my job, I was like, wouldn't it be cool to create beautiful knitwear made, you know, just high quality and, you know, styles that were more um, timeless and in a sustainable uh, manner. And so I came up with a concept in June and I, you know, because of my 20 years experience in the industry, I worked pretty fast. (laughs) I knew what I was doing. Apparently, apparently. So from concept to uh, launch was four months and I was able to fulfill orders by December. I know, crazy, right? Oh my gosh. What was your relationship with factories and stuff that you were able to do that? Because that would take many people two years just to establish that. Oh yeah, I knew where I was going to go make it. I knew about like the fiber, everything. So so basically when I learned about PECA, uh, which is mostly produced, uh, animals are from Peru, the more I learned about how sustainable and practical it was, the more I fell in love with it. And I'm like, why isn't everyone using alpaca? It just blew my mind. And granted, I've never visited the country before, <laughs> but I knew the product really well because I've done I've been doing it for a long time. Um, I've never had experience production in Peru. I don't speak Spanish. I didn't even have a contact for that factory, but I knew who I wanted to go to because I've met them before. Oh, wow. So I looked them up and, and yeah, and I was like just blind emailed. And you know what's funny at that time that I, COVID really was a blessing in disguise because at that time, a lot of companies were canceling orders and I kind of like just slid in at the right time, right place. And for a company, if you want to start a fashion company, the minimum order is the, is the hardest part for a brand new uh, label because they'll expect a few hundred units and, you know, not necessarily a brand can afford that. So they were willing to take really low minimums and I was able to, you know, because they need business. So I was able to take that advantage because of COVID. I was able to um, start a really small capsule collection of four pieces and, and start a business with them. And I'm still running my production with them as well. And that's like 18 months ago. We posted something, I think, yesterday on our Instagram. And it was just said, like, it was a quote from somebody about walking through doors. Like I, I became kind of who I am and the success I am by, by just walking through open doors and COVID in a sense. And, you know, it was, it was a difficult time and I don't want to make light of it, but for so many people, there was an opportunity there and you saw an opening, you, you lost your job. There was an opportunity. You saw this, you, you have this vision of the sustainable knitwear company that you wanted 
you relied on a relationship that you, somebody you met, I assume some time ago at a trade show or something like that, right? Yes. And then without even speaking the, the language, you were able to reach out. And also because of COVID, it probably wasn't required that you fly there. No one was flying anywhere. So there were all sorts of things that happened that sort of eased that relationship or entry into that relationship, right? Yeah. I mean, I also took a chance on them as they took a chance on me. I knew the product really well. So I knew what I was asking for. Oh, granted, I actually never used alpaca yarn before. And so, you know, different fibers react differently. And I'm like, I'm just going to go for it. You know, I got nothing to lose. And that was always the, the mindset I had. I had nothing to lose. I can sit here and wait for a miracle to happen or I'm just going to go after it. Sure. Right. So sure. I, I, I knew it. I envisioned everything, what the type of product I want to make and, you know, sketched it out four styles, a crew neck, a jumpsuit, a cardigan, a bodysuit, sent a tech pack, which is like measurements to the factory. Yeah. And by about July, right, I came back from a road trip with my family. I received samples at my house and I literally cried. I was in, happy tears because I couldn't imagine how great they turned out because it doesn't matter if you have a business if you don't have a product and I knew at that moment I had a product yeah yeah it was kind of the culmination of everything and somebody who understood your vision right and the quality of the product you wanted to put out absolutely it came out better than I expected so I knew who I was working with and, you know, the pride that they took on their product. And I knew I had something. I knew I had high quality. I knew I had luxury. I knew I had the best of the best. So let's back up a little bit. We talked about the fact that you had experience. What was the experience that you had that sort of informed the direction that you ended up going? I knew a lot about construction, yarn, the make. I used to work in Hong Kong. I was there for 18 months working next to what they call Sifu, um, which means master. The knitters were just right next to me showing me their machines and their yarn. So I was real, had a really close relationship and learned a lot about how a garment is made from start to finish. And the beautiful thing about knitwear is that it is already sustainable, right? You're mm-hmm. actually creating a piece mm-hmm. of garment with a piece of string. Right. Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, woven jacket, you have a rolls of fabric, right? And you have a pattern and you cut around and you sew. Versus a knitwear, you take a piece of string, you put it on a machine and you knit it into a shape and then you put them all the pieces together. And yeah. how crazy is that? That concept yeah. It's like the possibilities are are unlimited. And yeah. I just that's what I love about knitwear. There's just so many ways to create something. So I was there for 18 months in, in Hong Kong, and that's where a lot of uh, sweaters being made, Hong Kong and China. And I had an incredible time. I learned a lot from there. And that was a previous job I worked at with Liz Claiborne in New York. Long, long time ago. Long, long time ago. I remember Liz Claiborne in New York. I, I was there. Yeah. Right. And, and I was like part of the wholesale side. I was learning the more of a like moderate price points. Mm-hmm. And then I got into, when I moved to Seattle with my family, worked at Nordstrom and I got to design for about eight years and 11 years I was there, cashmere. It was like the dream job for any newer designer to create with luxury materials. Yeah. And I got to travel to Italy to the yarn shows. I got to work with Italian yarns. It's like an epitome of, you know, a dream job. And, and so I learned a lot about the luxury market. And when we started Cashmere, it was like starting to get uh, customers were really loving the Cashmere product, but we brought it to where it was more accessible, right, in terms mm-hmm. of price point. We ran that business from a million to 23 million when I left. It was huge. Wow. Yeah, it was really successful. Yeah, so I knew, I knew that uh, now that cashmere as a fiber has been so, it's more of a commodity now. Anyone can mm-hmm. access cashmere, right? But people don't know that you can get really beautiful cashmere sweaters for over $1,000 made in Italy. And you get really, really inexpensive ones in, I don't know, 
and more at the mall. <laughs> yeah, no, you see them at J. Crew and at Banana Republic, and yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uniqlo, yeah. So they're like ninety nine dollars, but you bring yeah. it home, and you know they they don't they don't last that long. There's a reason why because they might have, you know, reduced the quality be- just to meet the price point. You know, so when I started my brand, I wanted to make sure I would create something new and different and practical and and ethical, uh, ethically made. So it just makes sense for me to like try out a new a new luxury fiber that was more sustainable and you know as much as it I needed to educate customers what alpaca is because people tend to ask me is it scratchy it's the first thing they ask oh right yeah <laughs> yeah have you ever touched alpaca yes I have my my uh, sister and brother-in-law go to Peru regularly and so they often gift us an alpaca blanket or something like that. So now I get why people would ask you that, but I actually have a really soft alpaca blanket. Oh, cool. I mean, it's wonderfully soft. Yeah. And it's very warm too. Yeah. Yeah. So in your educating the consumer about the fact that alpaca is both not scratchy and sustainable and so many other things, I also have to believe that you're, you're kind of gaining a corner on that market, right? that you become the trusted source for that kind of product, but it takes a long time. I hope so. I mean, with my background in knitwear design, I hope that, you know, I gained that trust with a customer that I knew, I know what I'm talking about, that I'm, I'm choosing the best of the best and for our, our brand. And I will not hinder on quality because when I, design a collection it needs to be intentional and you know in the past I've been trained to keep creating the same thing but different month after month you know to give a reason for a customer to buy something and I don't think that's necessarily true because I don't need the same thing of something similar in my closet all the time I think I just need to make one great item and maybe refresh in new colors or a pattern but I don't think I need to reinvent something that's already good. So that's why we've been running our jumpsuit for almost two years now. And I just update refresh colors. And customers that love it, that already got the black one and they see the gray one on sale, they'll buy the gray one too. Sure. So they they know how it fits. They know how how comfortable it is. And all they have to do is just have a different color and add it to their closet. I just don't think we need to reinvent the wheel. Well, and I would think that part of the sustainability model isn't just the fabric that you're using or the fiber that you're using, but it's also having fewer but good quality pieces in your closet, right? And so that lends to the price point too, that you can afford to spend a little bit more on a single piece that's a luxury piece that's going to be in your closet for a while. You're moving away from the fast fashion thing, which is, I know, something that's really important to you. So when you you lose your job, right? Which did you know at the time that it was a blessing in disguise? Uh, for 48 hours? No, I was <laughs> the first 48 <laughs> hours. I was mourning. I was crying. I was so sad because it was a chapter of my life. It was important part of my life. And I had to say goodbye to it. And then I just went working and I'm like, yeah. this is it. This is the time to, to fulfill my dreams. Sure. Because you know, I've been to school. The first thing as a 18 year old, you know, f- trying to fulfill a dream of become a fashion designer has always been, you know, my radar. And I just never got a chance to do it on my own because I was always scared, scared of failure, disappointment, because I grew up in a, a Chinese family. And, you know, failure is tough because you have to, you want to. You want to make your parents proud all the time. So I always, you know, just had the comfortable job that paid well. But yes, because I went to school to, to want to be a fashion designer, have my own brand. That's always been the case. You went to FIT, right? Yeah, I went to FIT. And I also went on a study abroad program in Italy that was my first experience with knitwear in front of a, a hand flat machine, learning the, from the best of the best. So you truly, by the way, I went to FIT too. That's how I knew that because as I was, no. as I was doing my research, yeah, yeah, yeah. But what? I was not, you I did? wasn't, oh I my wasn't, God, that's so cool. yeah. 
I wasn't a creative like you. I was in the marketing communications side of things. So I was hoping to work with people like you that were super creative and, and wanted to have a brand. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Isn't that funny? I graduate ni- 99. Oh, you're, yeah. I'm a little bit older than you, Elisa. I graduated <laughs> in, 90, in 90. In 90. So I, one of the things I'm hearing you saying was even with all that experience, even with both your education, the experience, working under masters, working in Italy in this specific program, you had so much to offer, and yet you were still sort of frozen by fear. And it took losing your job. I, I don't know if it was a layoff or whatever, but it took you losing that job or getting out of your comfort zone is really what's important, however that, however that happened, for you to do this. Do you think you would have done it if you hadn't lost your job? Mm, probably not. Yeah. I, I would keep dreaming about it because I've dreamt about it for the last five years. I think losing my job was the fire I needed to get it going. Yeah. And also during COVID it, and losing my father, uh, January 2020, really gave me a different perspective in life yeah. that, you know, I think for a lot of people it was like, life is too short. You gotta, you got, you still have a chance to do what you love. It's time to do it now. And um, you can hear my voice shaking because yeah. uh, my father had a huge influence in my life being an entrepreneur because he was one himself uh, coming from China as an immigrant. So I always had that drive in me. Like I always look at him as an example. You know, if he can do it without speaking English, I can too. Yeah. But I, <laughs> again, I always have that fear in me. But but now that, you know, when you got nothing to lose, because I already lost my job, I have nothing else to lose and no one else would hire me. Right at that time. So it was my only chance to um, make it happen. I love it. I love that. And I love that our listeners right now are hearing a story that I'm sure resonates with so many of them, frozen by fear for whatever reason, and feeling like they are nowhere closer to the dream that they've had for so long. And uh, the reminder that each day is a gift. And it's and it's ours to take. It's ours, it's ours to receive as a gift, right? And to walk through that opportunity or or reach for that opportunity and to make the first move. Not everyone can launch in four months, right? But eventually we we can get there. Yes. And like you said, I even have all that experience under my belt and uh, all those years, I'm still scared. And, And I think a lot of people feel the same way. I think it was just that fire I needed and taking one step at a time. I know that sounds very cliche. No. Like, like it, I take an experience of me running a marathon. And, you know, I've ran two and I'm training for my third. And I know that every day, if I can just run a little further, I'll get closer to my finish line. And for skiing, I'm still running. <laughs> still t- yeah. Still running no, that what marathon. A great <laughs> metaphor. It's a great metaphor. And I also want to say that, you know, sometimes when we come with a wealth of experience, when we are, we are launching something in our area of expertise, there's more fear because there's more to lose, right? You're like, I'm essentially an expert in this space. If I can't get this right, what's going on, right? So that fear is not always mitigated based on how much experience we have. But it's still something that we can overcome for sure. So you talked a little bit about the fact that you had all this experience, you were working with cashmere, and that you wanted to create something that was sustainable. What was it in the market that you saw an opportunity for? Was it working with alpaca specifically, or was it the design? What niche did you see needed filling? Well, when I first started the brand, the concept, I was just thinking about what working women at home want to wear because it was during COVID. You know, the last thing you want is a dress you <laughs> want to wear at home. Right. What do I want to wear, right? I want comfortable clothes that are made well, that can wear, that's versatile and um, that's high quality that I can have for a long time. It's an investment piece. 
right? And that's how I shop and that's how I dress. So I created a capsule collection just to make it easier for women to shop versus, you know, like just four easy pieces versus a breadth of 20 pieces, right? So the first four pieces just, you know, you can wear them all together because I created a palette that was all neutral and or you can wear them separately with all the things that you already had in your closet. And I think these days, you know, the women the way women shop is they don't always, there's so many different channels and different yeah. brands. They don't always just buy the complete collection in one brand. They'll buy their favorite top from Skein and then they'll wear a pair of jeans from A-Gold and then they just mix and match. That's how people shop these days, sure. right? But we get so... Like designers were trained like, oh, we need to make a collection. They all have to like go together. And I, and I totally get that. And there's um, a reason for that. However, I think women are just shopping differently these days. And I want to make modern, timeless essentials as wardrobe builders for women to create their own little capsule of their own. And I remember Donna Karen. You know Donna Karen? Oh, yeah. <laughs> there was a book that I had at home. And she knew how to dress the modern working woman at that time in the 80s, right? And she came out that I found out after I, I came up with my capsule collection, she had a seven-piece capsule collection. Oh, interesting. And I'm like, oh, my God. I didn't even know she. I, <laughs> I, I remember her very well studying at school. But I didn't know her first collection was seven pieces. And she had the same concept as me. Like she just wants to dress the working women going going to work nine to five. Back then in the 80s, women were just going back to work and climbing that glass ceiling. And yeah. that's that's what I want to do. But for today's women, yeah. right? For today's yeah. women who are ready, who, who are not just working, they're a mom. They're everything. They're wearing so many different hats. They're working at home or they're working in the office. There's just so many things going on right now. I just want to make it simple for her. Yeah, easy. And um, and the sustainability, the sustainability is the nice to have part. Yeah, right? you want to feel good what you buy. You want to know what you what what you have in your closet, and that is not the driver of our business. But that is definitely something we aim to get better and better every single day. You're very committed to it. And I wanted to talk about that because on your website, you talk about these sort of pillars or cornerstones, if I could, if I could call them that product pre-sale model, high quality construction, carbon neutral shipping and packaging. They're all very important to you. Tell us how you came up with sort of those, again, I'm just going to call them pillars for lack of better word. How did you come up with those things as being part of your sustainability model? And what do they mean if you could just walk through them? Product pre-sale model, high quality construction, we can probably gather. But if you could walk through those really quickly for us. As consumers, we have choices, right? And first comes with product and things that you fall in love with. And, you know, we are consumers, right? We consume things. So oftentimes, although we consume things, we want to feel a little good about it. You know, we want to feel that, you know, our customers, I mean, the, people, the brands we buy from, you know, are also being responsible because they're putting more things on the planet for consumers to buy. So, you know, I can't fix the planet, you know, but I can make it a little bit better and be responsible what I put out. So one of the uh, pillars of that, that I believe in for sustainability is pre-sale, where I can take orders ahead of time from the customer and then get a more calculated number of what they are purchasing so I can place that order with the factory, right? So if you're a size medium and you want that, you know, black sweater, I know how many to order. I I get a good educated guess versus not having that information, which can cause me to overproduce and not sell, right? And then things wind up in the landfill. Right. You eliminate the inventory issue as well. It ends up being a good thing for you as a business that you don't have to carry as much inventory and then drop your prices and have multiple sales because you're not sitting on this this shipment of stuff that yeah. you have to move. Yes, it does. And you know, I can't say that I don't have zero inventory, but you know, I still have to meet the minimum with the factory. However, I have a better guess of what sizes customers want. I don't run out and I always make sure they're happy and they have their peace and to make sure they get it on 
the time that I promised them. So that's why we give a little bit of a incentive of giving them a discount if they place the order ahead of time. And then, and then they wait sometimes from four to eight weeks, depending on the item. And I think, I think I was hesitant to offer that because, you know, people are so used to like instant gratification, like Amazon and two day shipping and they get an item at the door. Whereas I think when people wait for the item, they appreciate it more. You know, it's yeah. like Christmas, it's finally here and they get so happy and they get to try it on and, and they appreciate it more. They just, they just, I, I think that's, I, just, I think that's more special. It also feels like it's custom made. Almost. And, and I actually want to touch upon that. Yeah. Okay. So coming in the next, I don't want to spoil it, but okay. in the next few months, we're working on spring and summer, which we never had before. It's always been fall product. So their items made in mercerized Pima cotton is just gorgeous. So we're working with the factory that has like almost no minimum. And what happens is like you place the order and you get it in like three to four weeks and you get to choose a color and size. And if you happen to be petite, we can make it shorter for you. It's really cool. That's awesome. Yeah. I can't wait to share that. Yeah. So if this works out, this could be our solve to be more sustainable in the future. So I'm so, so excited to share. Oh, I can't wait. Okay. We're crossing Um, our fingers for you. Yes. Yes. Wait for it. Okay. So another pillar of sustainability is that I search high and low for recycled packaging and our paper from our stickers to our uh, poly mailer, which is um, you can actually reuse it if you have a return or you can use the same bag to return an Amazon package if you want. So all those are all really thought out and eco-friendly. The carrier that we use, Sendal, um, they are carbon neutral. Mm. Carbon neutral is like an offset. Like if you yeah. use them, they plant a tree, you know, at a country that they choose to plant a tree at. So it's offsets. Um, so it helps a little bit. It's awesome. Yeah. Knitwear, the product itself is just um, sustainable because you don't have scraps of fabrics that you would use that come off from a woven jacket or something. And, and that you can't use that scrap of fabric anymore. Whereas knitwear, everything is created from a string. And that's why we named it Skein because, <laughs> you know, our brand is, you know, yeah. a knitwear. And Skein is a ball of yarn. Is that what it is? Yeah. It's definition. Uh <laughs> A Lucy coil yarn, yeah. Yes, so yes. we want to we want to always remember that this uh, the root of our company is has always been knitwear grounded. Yeah. And funny enough, I I was trying to be clever that oh I'm going to name the company with one syllable, an American word, and anyone can pronounce, but no one can pronounce it. <laughs> I is myself it, included. It's a skein. <laughs> but all the knitwear knitters, the hand knitters, they all know what skein is. So was, of yeah. course they do. Of course they do. I knew what it was when I saw it. I just was pronouncing it wrong. So that's hilarious. What would you say has been the biggest difference for you in your day-to-day work, having gone from working for a major company and major brands to working for yourself? I had to throw some of the rules that I learned out the window when I started my own company. And, you know, there were a lot of things that I learned in the past that worked for a larger company, but didn't work for running a small company, such as having to create product every month, which I do not do. Having a pre-sale model, which <laughs> doesn't happen in a larger company. You can't. Yeah. And I did it. And I was hesitant but I knew in my gut, I was like, this seems like the right thing to do. I'm just going to try it. Not, you know, I did some surveys, asked some friends. I'm like, would you wait sure. six weeks for a product? You know, and they're like, some said yes, some said no. But I just went for it. And uh, I think you just have to know, follow your intuition and know that it was the right thing to do for yourself and your company, even though how you've been trained for the last 20 years has been a different way. Do what's best for you. Bootstrapping. Yeah. It's good advice to, to hear that you broke some rules because I think a lot of people are afraid to break the rules. They think that those are the things that created the particular success that they had, but it's different when you're working for yourself. And it's also different because things are different. The times are different, you know, and, mm-hmm. and there's more than one way to 
to do anything, to, to skin a cat, as they say. I know you moved out of your home office into a salt box, which we've been hearing more and more about. How did that change everything? And actually, first tell people who don't know what Saltbox is. What is Saltbox? Saltbox is a short-term solution for small business that they outgrown their home and they needed more space. So think of it as a WeWork, but with a warehouse. Yeah, that's a great uh, way to describe that. And and at what point, like, was did you have packages all over the house and your family was like, you got to get out of here, mom. <laughs> <laughs> you got to move out. So it was it, it was uh, July 2021. And I was like, oh, shit. I'm so tired of having these boxes in my house. You should see the first shipment. It was like 23 box- boxes from Peru. A DHL lady had two pallets oh coming to a residential <laughs> address. Oh and I was like, I had like two, two high school kids helping me count. And fulfill orders uh, on my first order in December 2020. And then came July 2021, I was like, I can't do this. I can't have it here. It drives me nuts. And I'm like that type of person that needs organization. Yeah. I need to th- know, know, know where things are. Because at that time, I was still fulfilling orders on my coffee table. Things were stored in the laundry basement. And I know that there was going to be huge, another huge order coming. And I can't have more boxes here because it would drive me crazy. And then Facebook targeted ad me uh, the salt box <laughs> I, I was sold on my feet i was like what is this like and they had the best tagline like you know your business solution or something like that yeah. of course i tapped it and i just you know dug more and then booked my first tour and i was like i'm in i want that space yeah. right now that needs to be where skein needs to operate right now and then they also have a fulfillment center so then my always worry was that, oh, no, there's a pack, there's an order sitting in, in my, you know, website. I can't fulfill it because I'm away on a trip. Right. So the fulfillment center helps me send out packages while I'm gone. Oh, my gosh. Brilliant. Love that idea. Yeah, it's brilliant. It came at the right time when I needed them. And I've signed another year or so. <laughs> That's awesome. And I would I would imagine that you're learning a lot from the people that you're sharing the, you know, the not your particular space with, but the whole space that you're running into other people who are in a similar business in that they create a product and they're shipping the product. So you're probably learning from an, one another, whether it's about packaging or shipping or pricing or whatever. And the community yeah. that they create uh, with other small businesses. Awesome. And we're all scaling. We were like, let's move to a bigger space yeah. because they're expanding. So, I mean, entrepreneurship is lonely. Yeah. It's so lonely and scary. And I've never been this lonely in my life. I, I, I always had coworkers, you know, go on a coffee break. Here, I'm just like, I'm talking to myself. <laughs> Maybe I'll talk to my husband. Like, hey, what do you, just <laughs> feedback, you yeah. know? Or I had this crazy idea. Like, what do you think? It's just, it's just so lonely. And then when you have a community, whether it's, it's Saltbox or if it's, you know, your friends who are starting a business, it's nice to have that having a journey together, sure. like, you know, which, who do, who's your bookkeeper? You know, <laughs> Can I use you know, what's the software you use? So it's just a lot of like, it's great. And there's um, a lot of different communities that I found in other places that also provide a lot of support as well. So it's less lonely. Yeah, no, it's key. It's absolutely key to have that sort of community, to be able to bounce ideas off of one another. You talk about your husband and God bless all of our uh, partners, but Sometimes they don't have a clue what we're talking about. <laughs> and so it's nice to be able to talk to people who, you know, sort of can be bright eyed and say, oh, yeah, I, I feel that pain or I have a recommendation or just listen um, and, and understand sort of where we're coming from. It makes a huge difference. My poor husband has listened to so many things, that tales of woe that he has no idea what I'm talking about half the time. So yeah, it's it's absolutely. I have to give a shout out the women that actually have partners. And I know for me, it was scary when I wanted to tell my husband that I wanted to pursue my own business. Yeah, I actually didn't think he'll go for it. And he's like, okay, sure. Why not? And I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, go for it. You have nothing to lose. You have no other choices. You have to make this work. I'm like, okay. So 
he's been my rock ever since. And oh, uh, he has, you know, no know anything about fashion, but he's always there for me. And he has huge, big visions for it. And he is a great partner because we call him the CEO, the chief entertainment officer. <laughs> He makes it fun. He makes it he makes it less serious about running a business. And every time I have this uh, huge decision to make, he's right there uh, with me. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yes, that, that was worth a shout out. Yeah, supportive partner. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's great. I have to ask you, because we're focused on women over 40 who have launched and and you're in that category. How has your age sort of informed this, this phase of your life? You weren't an entrepreneur at a different age, right? So you only know what you know, but what are you coming into this with uh, as you are in the the glorious midlife as, as we uh, should embrace it as it uh, for what it is, what's been different for you about this stage? (laughs) Wow. You should be laughing because there's so many non-glorious things about it. <laughs> oh, I'm laughing in my core right now. You just can't hear it. I'm like, my muscles are contracting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 45 this year and I never use, I get a cringe when I hear midlife, you know, like middle age. Yeah. But you know what? Yeah. I am. I should embrace it because what I know now and what versus what I know when I was 20, honestly, is... Maturity, thick skin, confidence. I feel like I'm ready more now than I ever was because I've done, I've checked all the boxes in my life. And this was probably one of the last things that is important to me that I would regret if I didn't do it. Sure. You know, I have my house. I have a beautiful daughter, my family. I travel a lot in my past and uh, you know, still got more, but you know what? I've done enough. And it, and if I didn't do this, yes, I, if I die, I would regret it. And now I'm 45, I get to do it. I always say this is my halftime, my last tank of gas, you know? I gotta give it up my all, and this is my only time to do it. So it's now yeah. or nothing, so I'm all in. You got my, you got yeah. my chips, you know, blackjack, <laughs> I'm all in. <laughs> You're all in. Well, and it's paying off. And I have to say, you know, we talk about, we talk about this midlife, but if we think of it as a midpoint and we go back and we consider the first 10 years, the second 10 years, the third 10 years, we've had so much education around adolescence and then becoming a teen and then becoming a young adult, you know, sort of there's some around that time in life when for some, you get married. For some, you have babies. For some, you make other decisions. You know, you're getting to know yourself. You're pursuing your career. And that sort of 20s and 30s stage. And then we just don't care anymore. We just stop. There's nothing until we get some kind of an education about menopause. And then, like, we're supposed to pick a grave site. Like, it's so confusing. I don't understand it. <laughs> There's so much life. Oh, no, that's nice. There is so much life. You, you could easily live. To be 90. And so you were literally at your halfway point. There is so much more. It's not a last tank of gas. It's one tank of gas on on, on this side. <laughs> no, like what I meant, but like last tank of gas to work hard. Like yes. I've, I've yes. never worked yes. this hard in my <laughs> life. Like yes. I can't shut it off. It's 24-7. Like after this, I hope... I can do something easier, (laughs) you know, like another thing that's fulfilling or or something else is, it's just, this is my time to give it really, really my all. And 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 to really, yeah, you're right. There is so much, there's so much more to live for right now. And, you know, I'm Asian, so we might live to 120. (laughs) We'll we'll be wearing knitwear for a long, long time. Thanks to you. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) What would you say having just said that? What would you say to somebody, maybe a friend of yours or a peer that says, I'm 45, I'm 50, I'm 55, I have, I have nothing left. I'm, you know what, I'm going to say even I'm 65 because we are living so much longer and there is so much to give. What do you say to her when she says, I really don't have anything to offer. I'm too old. It's too late. Oh, I would say, come to Burning Man with me. <laughs> <laughs> 
good answer. <laughs> I'm like, are you sure? You have to come to Burning Man with me. And yeah. I'll tell you, there's so much to live for yeah. because I was in my 40, 40th birthday uh, that year. And one of my bucket lists was to go to Burning Man. If people don't know what Burning Man yeah. is, it's actually a place where, wow, where do I even yeah, start? What is, yeah, a, exactly. I, I can't wait to hear you describe this. <laughs> wow. It's one of a lifetime opportunity where you can experience a cultural shift with people from around the world that could create a city from nothing in a matter of really short time mm -hmm. and then it'll disappear after a week mm -hmm. it's a, a a cultural experience it's not a festival mm -hmm. if if the world was like burning man i think we have lesser problems mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah and i i can't everyone's experience is different it's not always the same yeah and it shouldn't be the same. And I, when I went there, it blew my mind. I learned a lot about myself. I learned about appreciate things more, like running water yeah. and food. Yeah, <laughs> like little so, things. Liberty like listeners, stop bitching about you know what you don't have. You Just appreciate what you do have because you know we we tend to take things for granted in life. And and when when sadly when I hear some someone a friend say that there's nothing else to offer. Are you sure? You know. I mean, I think you should just look at what you have right now and just appreciate what you have and what you've created and the people around you. And, you know, that's a lot. That says a lot already, you know. And and if you if you want to come Burning Man with me, I have a room for you. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's not an invitation yeah. to every single listener. That's an invitation to her friends, just in case people start DMing you all of a sudden and saying, where are you going to Burning Man? <laughs> or you. Do you want to go? Me. Do you, you me, can come with me? Go. I'll go with you. I'll go with you. And I think there's something to that cultural shift to experience something that takes you out of yourself, takes you out of your element, introduces a new way of thinking, a new way of being. It's refreshes, it refreshes the soul and it kind of helps you to consider, as we say over here a lot, consider your possibilities. What is possible? I've seen something that I never would have imagined. What does that mean for me? So I, I get it. I get why that would be life altering. I really do. Mm -hmm. So before I let you go, we have something called our fast five. So I'm going to ask you these five questions and just give me whatever comes to mind. So what's a favorite hack of yours, a daily practice, a book you're reading, something that you want to offer up to our listeners that are over 40? I get in a routine every morning and I drink bullet coffee. You do? Yeah, bulletproof coffee. And if you know bulletproof coffee, it is ghee butter with octane oil. <laughs> <laughs> and um, some collagen because, you know, I need to tighten my skin. Yes, um, yes. <laughs> but every day it helps me focus. It gives me, it's my me time in the morning to center myself, to get myself ready to start my day. And then I light a candle next to me every single day to feel spiritual and to be grateful for what I already have in place. Here's my candle, you see. I love it. I always have one. I love it. I love <laughs> yes. it. You should start selling those candles as part of the brand. Oh, that's the next Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. yes, I can't wait. One of them. I can't wait. I Just can't ideas. Wait. And then yeah. a more fun question. What's your favorite ice cream flavor? Oh, it is Baskin-Robbins chocolate chip. Isn't that funny? I love when we ask that question and people have a brand associated. It's like not every chocolate chip for you. It's Baskin Robbins chocolate chip. Mm -hmm. Yes. Is it about the chips or is it about the vanilla base? Which what makes the difference? It is the chip because the chip is not chunky yeah. and it's very thin and they're easy yeah, to chew. It's like chew. flakes. Yes. yes. I know exactly and what you're talking about. It, it reminds me of my childhood because that's it's on the corner of Mott and Pell Street in Chinatown, New York City, yeah. that we would always get ice cream at. And it's the only flavor I'll eat. Oh, I love that. That's awesome. What's one thing about this particular stage of life that you are loving? Oh, that I can give a fucking rat's ass what people think of me. <laughs> <laughs> 
Amen. I'm like, yeah. okay, we can't be friends. I, I said, yeah, yeah, bye. Yeah, I don't. I, my brother used to have a saying. This was he's happily married now, but when he was dating, and we would ask him, you know, how's it, how's it going, and he would say, I ain't got time to see if things ain't right. And it took me the longest time to figure it out. And I was like, oh, I get it. I don't have the time to see if this is not going to work out. It's like, if it's going to work out, it's going to work out. I don't need to make time for that. Yes. Got it. Yes, um, he's right. And then if you were mentoring your younger self, what would you want her to know about midlife? Put some sunscreen on. <laughs> <laughs> right? Because I always tell my daughter that you only got one face. It's Put some so sunscreen true. on. Thank God they're growing up with, not with sunscreen. Oh, you look beautiful. No, but they're growing up with products <laughs> that have sunscreen. We were, I grew up, yeah, yeah, because we've established that I'm older than you, where we were putting baby oil on our skin to lay out. I mean, Ooh. yeah. Mm-mm. What? No. Yeah. But I think, I mean, that's like a practice, I would say, for my 20s, but spiritually or mentally, I or just stop worrying things happen for a reason mm. and just let it ride yeah and yeah that's what i would tell 20 year old lisa yeah you'll be fine she will be fine yeah. she'll be more than fine um and then how would you say that skein did i say it right yes oh yes how would you say that launching skein has liberated you wow that's such a good question. I have a lot of highs and I have some lows. The lows aren't that bad though, you know, but there are times where I had, you know, times I was sad about certain things, but there were so many highs that was liberating for me because it means that I am doing the right thing. It reinforced my confidence that I need it running a business. So when you have that first sale, it was liberating. When we got on a cover of a lifestyle magazine, that was insane. When I got a cover on 425 magazine, which is another local magazine, I was like, I fell to the floor. And all those, those like awesome events that kept happening just keep making me feel more confident about myself, my business idea, and why I intend to do this and why I was put in this place at this time, at this moment, and not 20 years ago when I didn't know jack shit about knitwear. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it, it gave yeah. me all those stepping stones that I needed to be where I am right now. So I can't wait to see what else I can do because I just couldn't believe it. Like I got, you even got on TV last year about my story, yeah. covering my entire story. And I was like, holy crap. I mean, what? I can't top this, right? And I keep saying that and something great happens. And something happens. So maybe something will happen in a couple months. <laughs> well, being on I'm your, sh- being on sure your podcast, being Aww. on your podcast is special. <laughs> That's liberating. Cause like when I found out about, okay, who's she about? And then like, look on your website. I was like, wow, she's interviewed some really incredible people. So I'm like, okay, I think she's serious. This is not like some play game, you know? <laughs> no, it's so, not play. And, and you I'm are one honored. of those really incredible people. Oh, thank, thank you. you. I'm so honored to be part of your world. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Talking about how it's liberated you is going to liberate other people. I know our listeners will find some some morsel of themselves in your story and it will encourage them. And I just want to again remind our listeners that uh, if you want to know more about Burning Man, this is the person <laughs> for you. <laughs> Can I know I'm teasing, I'm teasing. It's so funny. Can I say one last thing? Oh, please, would you? Would you, please? For those, um, you know, little girls with big dreams, especially the ones coming from immigrant families, I know it's been, it's kind of hard to decipher your life between two different cultures and there might be someone telling you doing one thing and what it's right but then I mean really follow your gut and trust that because I was very lucky to have parents that never really forced me to become anything else that they intended for me to be except to be my best self work hard and 
and you know do what's right. And that is ingrained in me, ingrained into me in my life right now. And I was able to apply that. So you know, there's room for everybody. Just because there's one that we're designer doesn't mean there couldn't be another one. So just follow your dreams. It it can work out for a little girl from Chinatown, New York. <laughs> it can work for a lot of people. So that's my little oh, tip. Thank you so much for sharing that. I'm glad you did. I'm glad you asked to share that. One, it'll be a soundbite. We'll be able to share that with lots of people. But two, I think we need that reminder daily, no matter where we came from, no matter what our circumstances, that that opportunity is here for us. And and I don't want to minimize that it's here in a really unique way as Americans. It's a, it's a funny time to be an American. And I too am the child of immigrant parents. Really? Yeah. Yeah. My parents came from Egypt when I was two. So I technically am an immigrant myself, so but cool. there's, there's something that we can't lose. And when we talk about this idea of America and what it affords us, especially as entrepreneurs. So I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Elisa Yip, thank you for your time. What a pleasure to meet you. And listeners, we will have all of Elisa's handles and website information so you can contact her, whether it's to find out more about Burning Man or to get a hold of one of her beautiful (laughs) items or just to follow her. You have a great Instagram, by the way. And your daughter, I assume that's your daughter who's on there. She's adorable. Oh, thanks. Precious. Appreciate it. Beautiful little girl. So, Liberty listeners, thanks for hanging out with the two of us, and we will talk to you guys next week. Bye. Liberty Road is broadcast on all platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and more. If you like what you've heard, please follow, rate, and review Liberty Road on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It helps us to know if these episodes are inspiring and equipping your ventures. Liberty Road is produced by Netta Jones and Elizabeth Joy Windham and music by Jordan Flower.